0: Hi, I'm Jim
1: Metzner, and this is The Pulse of the Planet, continuing our conversation with composer, field recordist, and sound designer Douglas Quinn. In our last program, Sounds of Ice and Glaciers in the Antarctic, this time we explored the challenges of recording in warmer conditions, places where we experience the world of sound in a very different way. What's it like? to be in a situation where you're not maybe seeing anything, but you're hearing a whole hell of a lot. I guess we're talking about the Amazon now. You just paint the picture of what it's like to be there. And then over time, does it in fact change you to be in this situation where sound is numero uno and the visual is like in the back seat so much?
0: I think one of the challenges of working in a tropical or dense tropical forest environment is that you don't have the privilege of wide-sweeping vistas. And more often than not, you will hear before you will see anything, and sometimes you will never see what you're hearing. It's a challenge, but it also helps to learn how to read the landscape through sound. By that, I mean you can hear features of a landscape once you're there in a given place long enough. So an example, listening in an area of the Amazon north of the city of Manaus, the forest is very, very dense in places, and you have certain open areas, but they're not terribly open. So you begin to hear how reverberation and echoes can work and where animals concentrate almost themselves using the landscape to amplify their signals for communication. There's a subtlety to it. And I think that's something that birds in particular, but also things like howler monkeys, they understand this and the power of their voices is pretty intense But you begin, I think, to be able to say, you know, there is a valley over there, or there's a cliff that is reflecting back some of these sounds. So you really have to rely more on your ear to to kind of navigate things. (laughs) The other thing I found, I was just chasing a sound and realized that I was so determined to, to find the source of this that I went blithely going off in one particular direction only at a certain point to turn around and realize I had no idea where I had just come from. There was a sameness to everything around me. I mean, incredibly beautiful and rich, but... I neglected to kind of break twigs or leave a trail for how I got to where I got. You got to have that balance of listening, but also pay attention to where you're going. So I learned very quickly to leave little markers, you know, a bent twig here or there. It took a while. I mean, it probably took another hour or two longer than the, the voyage out to find my way back, but you know, soon enough I was there but it was definitely a lesson you know, we talk about mindfulness well, mindfulness job one pay attention to your immediate surroundings as you chase that hidden sound
1: okay, I'm out there I pressed the record button and now, you know I've got an hour of sound. Well, you know, I actually have to go back and spend another hour listening to that sound if I ever want to come into relationship to this recording. But the recording is the way back. It's not the recording is going to help me get out of the rainforest, but it's the recording is going to take me back in time to this moment of of being on the trail of whatever it is I was searching for.
0: Yeah. I think that's part of the magic of the recordings is that they do have the capacity to put you back in that sense memory of a place. Although I have to say, having worked in this area for more than 30 years, I'll listen to some recordings and I find myself going, geez, I don't remember that. And part of that too is the quirks of memory is that I realize when I record And I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes I'll come away and thinking, God, that was fantastic. And then, you know, some time goes by, I wouldn't listen to the recording. I listen back to it and it's kind of mediocre. And I go, well, what was that about? Where did you get the impression that this was an awesome recording? And I realized, well, maybe it was a nice sunny day that day. Maybe you weren't being eaten alive by mosquitoes and you realize that your emotional Disposition in any given situation colors how you think you remember that recording. And by the same token, I have other recordings that I went, oh, God, there's another tough day out. Yeah, I got nothing. And I'll listen back say, what were you thinking? That was one of the <laughs> best recordings you've ever made. And it was just because I was miserable. I had been out for weeks or months. I was tired. I had been eaten alive. And you just exhausted and you realize that emotion colors your perception or your memory of what you thought the recording was. So keep good notes because when you go back, you may surprise yourself. One thing about working tropical habitats around the world is how unbelievably rich and varied they are. You know, people think of the rainforest as one sort of monolithic entity. But when you listen or look at the dynamics at work in Central Africa or in the Amazon or Central America... There's incredible variety in biodiversity. It's important to acknowledge and recognize in light of the sort of catastrophic loss of habitat, how much we stand to lose ultimately, not only in terms of resources, but in terms of what makes us fundamentally human, which is that we are part of a broader ecosystem One of the things that I've tried to do through my work is to engage with scientists because I learn from them, and I feel that my work, primarily as a sound artist, is to kind of reveal to people a complementary perspective to what the science is telling us to an appeal to the emotion to appeal to the senses to kind of animate that aspect of our being because we need both we need the intellectual understanding but we need to feel that emotional connection that's why people go to zoos they want to connect with animals One of the opportunities that I had was to work in New Caledonia in the Pacific that looked at a flightless bird called a kagu. And the kagu looks like a heron, a very beautiful, beautiful bird, has a wonderful kind of display with a crest that will rise up on its head and wings stretch out. And very endangered because of invasive species like rats, cats, pigs prey on them, their eggs. The congas call, you get a bunch of them together, they sound like a pack of barking chihuahuas, basically. It's an interesting sound. But one of the surprises that happened on one recording venture, this was at dusk. I was out with a scientist, Sophie Ruiz, and um, we left the recorder up and running in a small clearing uh, near a big cowrie tree, pretty large tree. And, just stepped away so we weren't right next to the recorder, you know, probably 50 yards away out of sight, and just let it run and quietly listened as the evening settled in that beautiful transition from at dusk where things have, you have the last sort of call of the day before everything beds down for the night and the night critters come out. So... We come back and pick up the recorder and then go back and listen to it. And lo and behold, what we heard are two species. One are friar birds. And friar birds are fairly common in the Pacific. Very lively, very gregarious birds. But in this was a recording of a crow honey eater. Sophie said that she had only seen one in 10 years of field research. There are... An unknown number, but probably no more than 50 to 150, maybe 200 birds, individuals left on the island. They only live in New Caledonia. Like the Kagu, critically endangered because of introduced species of rats and the cascading cats, dogs, pigs. So listening to this recording, we both, I can still see the expression on her face. She said, you don't know how rare this actually is.
1: I had this picture of of you out there being an active listener waiting for the uh, whatever it might be for the cargo to vocalize. All these moments in between where, quote unquote, nothing is happening. And yet you're happening. You're there. And and in a sense, that relates to all of us. There is a world of sound out there, and I'm usually in an in-between moment where nothing incredible is happening. And that's a good thing. I'm not at uh, on 14th Street where the subway is so loud I have to cover my ears. I'm not next to the jackhammer that's like, ah, let me get out of here. I'm in between. And yet the world of sound is still going on. So what does it mean to be an active listener waiting and yet attentive and maybe the record button is on and maybe I'm just walking down the road.
0: I think active listening for for me is very, it's a, to me, it's almost a form of meditation. And, you know, people think of meditation as a way of just sort of blissing out. I think meditation for me as a practice, is actually very demanding because it requires you to clear your mind and to pay attention to what's going on around you without the distractions of your cell phone, without being distracted about what's for dinner, who you need to call, what you need to do, is to open yourself up. And this is where you, you know, you're quite vulnerable when you allow all of the sound in. But I think the benefits to that are that broader awakening of the entire sort of sensory apparatus that we base our whole sense of reality on everything comes alive so for me you have to love the process of doing this if you're going out there to get a sound you're going to be very frustrated because you may get lucky you have to do the research it's a combination of library work and hunting You have all the research that goes into figuring out what's where. And even then, they're going to be big holes in your knowledge base. But you have the thrill of the hunt in the sense of that you are sensorily alive. And there's that sense of pursuit, which I think is deeply ingrained in us as hunter-gatherer types, even though we've come a long way from that. But rather than the thrill of the kill... It's the thrill of hearing something, whether you record it or not is another matter. You may be on pause, waiting, and say, oops, I didn't hit record. Or you may get lucky and record. But the process of being mindful, of being aware, and of being in that heightened sense of anticipation of what might be coming, but being perfectly at peace with the fact that a day or two, three may go by where nothing happens— If you're not comfortable with yourself in that quietude, in those moments of simply being aware, then maybe this is not the job for you. (laughs) But for me, it's very rewarding. It's demanding. It's exhausting. But I always come out at the other end, no matter how exhausted I am or how beaten I am by the environment, whether I got anything or not. Just feeling far more grounded and at peace with whatever it is I'm dealing with. So that's why I come back to the idea that it—it's active listening is a form of meditation with this heightened sensory awareness to bring the world into you and to realize that what goes on out there goes on in here.
1: My thanks to Doug Quinn. If you want to learn more about his work, check out his website, douglasquinn.com, and Quinn is spelled with one N, Q-U-I-N. If you have any questions or comments, you can contact us on our website, pulseplanet.com. I'm Jim Metzner, and this
0: is The Pulse of the Planet.